title of my lesson today is It's Not My Fault. Genesis 41. We love this sentence. It's a popular sentence. Uh, when you get in trouble, so maybe you're a teenager, maybe you get in trouble, right? What do you usually say? It's not my fault. Whose fault is it usually? It's your brothers, your sisters, your the other kid in class, right? The teacher. It's somebody else's fault. And that doesn't change when we get older. We like to make sure that it's somebody else's fault. There is something in us, <clears throat> every person in the world, whether religious or not, atheist, Christian, uh, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist that, that craves for things to be fair, for justice. There's a big social justice movement. Like there's something within us that craves justice. Um, and here in the story of Joseph, we see a lack of justice, especially with the character of Joseph. And Joseph has just, uh, he's, he's been sold into slavery. Uh, he goes, he's, he, he works for Potiphar's, uh, Potiphar, Potiphar's household, Potiphar's wife. He gets uh, accused of sleeping uh, with her, which he does not do. Not in the slightest, actually, he, he's, he cuts off the relationship, um, and then uh, he's punished. He goes to prison. He's in prison. There's a cupbearer, a baker. The baker and the cupbearer have dreams. Joseph interprets both. The cupbearer is able to be lifted up back to his original position, and Joseph says, hey, when you get back to being in your original position, and it's a big position. The cupbearer's position is not just the guy who tastes the wine. It's actually more of like a trusted advisor for the president. It's a big position. And so when the cupbearer is restored to his advisor role, you know, in the White House, uh, Joseph says, hey, just remember me. Just remember me. But what does the cupbearer do? He forgets. And Joseph, once again, has to go through being forgotten. When he's sold into slavery, he does not know uh, that his, uh, he doesn't know that his dad doesn't know anything. He, for all he knows, his dad's going to come looking for him. His dad's going to come find him. Because remember, his brothers sell him off into slavery. But his dad never comes. Jacob never comes knocking for his favorite son. And Joseph has 13 years, 13 years to be bitter, to struggle, to be angry because he is forgotten by his dad. Apparently, right? He doesn't know that his brothers pretend, faked his death. Um, but and now he's forgotten by the cupbearer. And now let's see what happens next in Genesis chapter 41, verse one. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up. They swallowed up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again. There was a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy, good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin, scorched by the east wind. The, the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once, at, was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And the things occurred exactly as he inter interpreted them to us. 
I was restored to my position. The other guy was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved, uh, apparently Egyptians were always clean shaven and Hebrews always had beards. So, you know, Joseph is trying to appear his best at work uh, with the shaving his beard here. He's like, I got to look good for the part. All right, I got to get rid of the piercings and things. I got to look good at my job. So he shows up. This guy's clean shaven beard, changes his clothes, gets some new clothes, wants to make a good impression, comes before Pharaoh. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. We're going to skip down. Cows, skinny cows eat the uh, fat cows. And the same thing happens with the stalks of corn. Verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up after are seven years. And so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten. And all the famine and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Now, at at this point in the story, we can kind of pause and wonder. And for people who aren't really as uh, connected to famine, some of you remember the fam- some of the famines in the, the continent of Africa, right, um, at different times in our lives that, that deeply that, that caused death, uh, ravaged the land, similar things. We're not connected to famine as much or even just a shortage of water. You know, we kind of have those things that, you know, snap of our fingers, really. Um, now, now who, who, who knows how long that'll happen? We happen to live in a time in the history of the world with the wealthiest, right, wealthiest nation in the history of the world. So we have those things. But this was a big deal. To hear this for, for these people, for a ruler. Actually, they have actually found, uh, archaeologists have found uh, a, a piece of uh, a parchment dating back to 2700 BC. And uh, it actually, it says that there were times of famine in Upper Egypt that were so bad uh, where fathers and mothers would eat their children um, because it was so bad. They had no food, so they would just eat their kids. So this is the context. This is the fear. When Pharaoh has a dream, and I think he knows what it means. Famine is coming. And as a ruler, that's obviously a devastating thing. And so when he hears this, you can imagine how scared, how frightened, how horrified he really is. And and, and in verse 33, and Joseph continues, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Joseph's kind of like, if only there was a clean shaven, well-dressed man who could (laughs) sort of fill this position for you, right? In verse 34, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh and be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh 
and all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring. This sounds familiar, right? Pharaoh took his signet ring, put it on his finger. Uh, He dressed him in robes. Oh, even more familiar. Of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. That is sweet. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of all the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphanath Paneah and gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and Joseph went from Pharaoh's presence and traveled through Egypt. During seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food that was produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it up in the cities. In each city, he put food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, uh, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph, na- Joseph named his first Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. The second he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the other lands, but the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread all over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was so severe throughout Egypt and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was very severe everywhere. And the chapter ends with a note where we'll go everywhere, even Israel. Next chapter. Don't get ahead of yourself. (laughs) And so we'll figure out how this story comes to an end with Joseph and his brothers. It's an incredible story. It's a long story. It's a wonderful story. And last time we talked about the how of suffering. How do you walk with God through suffering? How do you do it practically? And now we're going to talk about the why of suffering. Why does God allow us to suffer? And a lot of times when we go through suffering uh, or pain, uh, we kind of struggle. We get so angry and frustrated on the why that everything else kind of uh, fades away. You know, why me? Why am I going through this? Why is this happening? And I think it's because we're a people that is fascinated, that is obsessed with fairness, with equality, with with, with equal opportunity. That's in all of us. Um, Pain is a a problem, okay? Pain is a problem, Not and people sometimes say pain's a problem for those who believe in God. If God is so good, why does he allow pain? If God is so good and all-knowing, why does he allow suffering? This is a stumbling block, right? But I would argue that it's actually a greater problem for the atheist than for the religious person, for the Christian. It's actually a greater problem for the atheist because oftentimes someone who doesn't believe in God will make the argument, if God is so good, why, why is he so unjust? But they're making a claim. That claim is that there should be fairness. You you're, you're have a presupposition. You're approaching the argument assuming that there is a right and wrong, a supernatural right and wrong. 
Where the heck did you get that idea? If you believe in no God, the evolutionary hypothesis, right, in, in social Darwinism, survival of the fittest. What is the premise of survival of the fittest? Right? The strong kills the weak. So if we are just, if that's in us, that's in our DNA. Strong kills the weak. Why are you so upset when a minority group is, is oppressed? It bothers you. It bo- why, are we so, why do we even root for underdogs in, so, in, in games? I want the underdog to win. Why? That's dumb. Survival of the fittest, right? Dominant beats the weak. Like, we actually, as people, we don't, we don't like that. We protect the widow. We, protect, we want to protect people. Even those people in the world who don't necessarily adhere to God, they want to protect others. They want to help others. You'll see it in Charlottesville. You want to come to church? No. Oh, but we serve food on, you know, once a month. For I was hungry. We serve food to, the, to those who need it. Oh, that's an amazing thing that you do. I'll go to that. Well, why? Because I want to help those people. Why do you want to help those people? Right? They're weak. They don't, they're poor. They're weak. Let's just let them die off and have the strong survive. No one says that. It's incredibly callous. It's incredibly unfeeling. And, and it's insensitive. Like, it's offensive. But, that, that, but here's the thing is everyone goes through pain. And you can't just say, I don't know why God doesn't allow pain. If you believe in a God who is so big and powerful to have this supernatural uh, right and wrong, then you believe in a God that's so powerful that maybe he's doing things that you can't see. You know, if you walk into a tent and I tell you, hey, walk into that tent and tell me if there are any St. Bernard's in there, right? That's going to be fairly obvious. That's going to be fairly obvious, right? Were there St. Bernard's in there? Yes, I saw one. Uh, It's very much there. I saw it. But if I said, hey, do you see any, any mites, any dust mites, or do you see any mites in there? You might say, no, there are none. I didn't see any. Does it mean they're not there? No, because you can't see them. They're too small. And so we can't just say, well, I can't see what God's doing. You drew, you're telling me that pain, we go through pain. Well, first point is that pain has a purpose. Pain has a purpose. Pain has a, a there's a reason for pain. But Sometimes if we can't see that purpose, we go, God's not fair. God is mean. God is it's unfair, right? I don't have the money I want. I don't have the job I want. I don't have the spouse I want. It's just not fair. I've had a bad week. I, I don't, people around me are, are mean and they don't, they, don't, they don't like the same things I like. And my, my spouse, my kids, right? We just complain. We get angry because that's the only way the world can cope with this idea, by the way, is to just complain and get angry and blame shift and say, it's not my fault. They see injustice and they blame another group. Oh, you know whose problem it is? The, the left. You know whose problem it is? The right. You know whose problem it is? The middle. No one ever blames the middle. <laughs> should blame the middle more. But that's the middle's fault, right? Somebody's fault. Somebody's got to blame. Somebody's got somebody's to take this. Somebody's got to be on the hook for this. We've got to punish somebody. Uh, you know, Andrew Sweat shared recently about the young man who forgave the officer who shot his brother. And I think people were upset. Like, no, somebody's got to pay for that. So there's got to be justice, Right? But pain has a purpose. C.S. Lewis calls pain the megaphone of God. Like pleasure is something that we can get so used to that uh, we don't even uh, know it's there anymore. Like you ever have a really good food and you're like, this is incredible. But you have that food a bunch and you're like, I need a new food. It doesn't, or you see somebody at a buffet just like, ah, 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 ah. You know, it's like they, like the pleasure, they don't even really feel it. But, but pain, a lot of times, we know pain. We're very aware of pain. You know, you ever around somebody who gives you the pain update? Like, my knee hurts. You're like, okay. My, it's cold in here. <laughs> Fine. I don't, you know, like, just like, they're constantly updating you on what they're feeling all the time, you know? And I don't know. That's not me. I'm not the pain update guy. But I know there's some pain, pain updaters. And like, here's, here's my body's constantly always feeling. We're very aware of pain because pain's a megaphone. 
Pain makes us aware of things. And we know that pain from a physiological perspective is very important, right? If someone didn't feel pain, they could get hurt. They could die. They wouldn't. Pain stops us from doing, making dumb decisions, right? So pain has a, a purpose, right? Put your hand on the stove. It hurts. I better stop doing that versus let me just continue until, you know, my hand is gone sort of thing. But pain stops us from making dumb decisions. So pain has a purpose. But pain in a spiritual walk sometimes is harder because I, I think we, I don't know, I think as people sometimes we, it's, it happens a lot when we confess. And you guys have probably experienced this, right? I mean, when you, people confess, they, they, they sometimes will, be jumped, will jump to God's punishing me. Or I did something wrong or God's punishing me. But a lot of times it's just we're, we, we go through pain and then we just, we, we, we kind of either placate it or we compartmentalize it or we, we, try to, we try to lessen the pain through sex or drugs or friendships or social media or through success or achievement. Like we try to medicate the pain instead of kind of like let the pain sort of wake us up to ask the question of what is God doing or what's God trying to teach me. Very unpopular teaching, by the way. I mean, we live in a world where you're feeling pain. That doctor has medicine to get rid of that pain. Get rid of the pain. Get rid of the pain. Every, all of us, are, and even decisions we make as kids sometimes, or parents with kids, is to protect them from pain. One of my, I asked my dad this morning, I, he wasn't able to get me the picture in time. I have a picture of myself playing my first year in, in football. I begged my dad to play football. I love football growing up. Tackle football, I was nine years old. I was Torrance, California. It was epic. I begged my dad to play. Finally got to play, and it was rough. I was kind of overweight. I ate a lot of chili cheese fries before that point. Um, it's my favorite food. I didn't know that it was an appetizer. I was ordered it as an entree. Um, <laughs> later in life, I was like, chili cheese fries is not an entree. It's like an appetizer. Anyway, I was eating a lot of chili cheese fries, and I was overweight. I was about 20, 30 pounds overweight uh, for my age. And they ask you at, at football practice, which position do you want to play? And in my heart of hearts, I know that horrible two words that no child wants to hear, offensive line, right? Um, and, and I'm like, I'm not playing offensive line. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm destined for greater things, you know? And, I, and I, I went around, and everyone picked a position except me. So I'm standing there like a goober, just standing there like no position. The coach was like, mine, what position? And I said the dreadful word. I think it's one word, quarterback. So they put me in a quarterback, and I didn't know how to play quarterback, uh, which apparently is important when you volunteer. <laughs> And I just got, I, dro- I couldn't take a snap. I dropped the ball. And these coaches were like, I remember one coach like chain smoked during practice, just covered in tattoos and just really cussed us out. And it was, it was Torrance, California. Like it wasn't, I mean, we moved to Dallas and it was a different story, but Torrance, California was like, this is intense. I mean, we, I, mean, I vomited most practices. I just threw up. I couldn't do the conditioning. Um, got yelled at, got chewed out, got cussed out. I'm nine, nine years old. I'm a chubby nine, portly, portly nine-year-old getting chewed out. And about a week in, I'm not getting, I'm like fourth string quarterback. Practices are awful. I get a pit in my stomach thinking about practice. It, it wasn't encouraging. It, no, there was nothing about it that was like uh, redemptive. It wasn't like, well, at least the coach is nice and he's a believer. No, none of that. There was nothing redemptive about the situation. There was no like, at least he'll get playing time. No, you're fourth string. A lot of divine things have to happen for that fourth string guy to get in. There's no fourth string. You don't get in a fourth string. So anyway. So I tell my mom, I'm crying. I'm like, mom, I don't want to play anymore. It's just too painful. I, I don't like it. And I kind of I got to mom, um, you know, as that was the strategy was get to mom first, get her to concede. Then we kind of work our way to the big fish, um, the old man. And uh, sorry, dad. And go, go talk to dad. Once you get mom on board, then getting dad on board is a little easier. So there's a whole plan, right? And so, uh, but I remember just dad saying, 
you made a commitment and you will finish the year. And I was like, no, but it's painful and I'm throwing up and I can't, I don't play. And I remember just like crying after practice. And I mean, my mom to this day will say, yeah, it was hard for her because she picked me up and dropped me off. And I'm this nine-year-old, you know, just weeping child, just going to practice, you know. And, and my dad said, you will finish the year. You made a commitment. You know, and I finished the year. It's the worst season ever. But what's great is I played eight more years, four division championships and a Texas state championship there in my junior year. Not because of me, really. But it was just that God... It was cool that that was the worst year I ever had. I played eight more years. And every year we, we had a blast. So that's, I mean, I love my, my, my time playing football. I wouldn't change it for anything. And I kind of always go back to that moment, that crossroads. And it would have been easy for dad to say, you're feeling pain. Pain is bad. Let's protect you from pain. Yeah, let's just kind of coddle you and give you everything you want. And, and that can be tempting, I'm sure, when there's, there's suffering. Because we, 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 your heart goes out to the sufferer. You're like, oh, help him out. Help her out. But... In that moment, there was time and perspective helped me see, wow, God was doing something. And often when we're in the middle of pain, we don't know why. You know, you stub your toe, you're like, ah, why? You know, but then a few seconds later, you're like, I shouldn't have put that there on the ground, should I? You know, I mean, I've been sloppy recently. I got to clean up the place. I really should clean. It'll help my marriage. You know, and just kind of like, sometimes time and perspective helps you see, you know, but in the moment, you just can't see it. And so... Pain has a purpose, and God is often working. We just can't see it at the time. And so one of the challenges, I think, for us is to be able to have people around us who stop us, slow us down, and ask that very difficult question. And we have these D groups, discipling groups on Wednesdays. If you haven't come on a Wednesday, come Wednesday. We have discipling time. We get in each other's lives, and we, we, we confess. But one of the great questions to ask somebody when they you know, share their whole life is to say, what do you think God's trying to teach you? And it's kind of puts you on the, like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I thought I was asking you guys to fix me. You know, I don't know, like, what, what do you mean I got to? But to think about it, what is God trying to teach me in this? And that's hard. And it's kind of an offensive question if somebody's like, did you not hear what I just said? Like, and sometimes there's real tragedy. And it's hard to even say that. Like, my dad died. What do you mean? What is God trying to teach me? How dare you? But God is sovereign. and He works through everything. He's always teaching us something. You know, it's amazing with Joseph. He's had 13 years to be bitter. 13 years, he's been forgotten. And he has this chance to go before Pharaoh and he interprets the dream. But Pharaoh's not impressed by his dream interpretation, if you noticed. It's after Joseph has a plan. Joseph says, here's your dream, but I have a plan. And then it says in the text, in this chapter, that Joseph was seen as wise and intelligent. Those are two very important words. They're words used about um, people put in leadership positions in the Bible. They're wise and intelligent. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, is called wise and intelligent. So when Joseph has called this, and they say, man, this guy is the, the spirit of God in him. Joseph, for 13 years, God is working on him. And he comes to a place where Pharaoh, the king of the most powerful country in the whole world, the most powerful empire, the Egyptians. The kids in school learn about the Egyptians for a reason. You don't learn about every ancient empire. You learn about the Egyptians. The Pharaoh, the king of the Egyptians of the whole world needs your help. And, Pharaoh, and, and Joseph is there ready. Not just to be bet- and How easy would it have been to say, oh, it's my first, uh, first choice. Hey, cupbearer, two years, man. Off with his head. You know, like, let's, let's get some. We're about to get some justice up in here. I'm about to, I got a list. I got the list of people who offended me and they're all going down. But Joseph rises up and he says, no, I have an idea. 
we actually are going to be smart. We're going to, we're going to parse out the, 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 the corn, the wheat. We're going to be able to actually survive this and we're going to make it. Joseph is not bitter. He's magnanimous. Joseph is not there petty or, or complaining about what happened to him. He's grateful. And you can see it how he names his two sons. Did you see how he named his two sons? Name him Ephraim because God has allowed me to forget the, the, the difficulty of my past. I named my second son Manasseh. Or, sorry, I flipped it. First son Manasseh, second Ephraim, right? And, and both names have to do with being grateful for what God has done. That is incredible. Grateful. Grateful for suffering. Grateful for pain. You know, we've got to learn that pain has a purpose. But as much as I believe this is true, and I believe it is, no matter, no matter the circumstance, sometimes people just don't want to hear it. Right. You've been there, yeah. right? They're so, and I think I've been there, they're so in their pain that they just, God's trying to teach me what? My husband died. My kids died. There's a purpose in that. Are you kidding me? Like they're so hurt by these tragic events that they don't want to hear that God's going to work on it. God's going to work through it. Just as God was working through Joseph, you know, the veil of tears for Joseph became the valley of soul making. Like through, through the tough times. And a lot of us would say the most difficult times in our life actually allow us to be where we are now, to, be, to go through difficult things. And I want to encourage us, please, parents, let your kids go through difficult things. Please let them go through difficult times. Let them grow up. Let them experience what it, the exhilaration of victory to see God deliver them on the battlefield. If they're coddled, if they're protected, they'll hit college. They'll be bitter toward you and bitter toward God because they were surprised by how difficult the world is. Let them go through it and let them, experience, let them learn what it is to be able to trust God at a young age and to have those memories protected for the rest of their lives. The second point, though, pain has a purpose, but pain also has a partner. You know, Joseph is no longer the brash teenager. Uh, He's no longer the guy who's bragging about the dream he had about his brothers will bow down to him. Joseph has grown up. Joseph is wise. He's intelligent. At the age of 30, he's the grand vizier of Egypt. If you don't don't know what a grand vizier is, Jafar in Aladdin is the grand vizier. Whoa. Now you get it. All the teens were like, oh, what did you say about Aladdin? Something about something? Um, yeah, Grand Vizier, right? Yeah, that staff. Uh, Joseph is Grand Vizier. Basically, more realistically, he's probably like the secretary of the Department of Agriculture is kind of where he, what he's doing here. But he's overseeing this for the next 14 years. But I think sometimes it's not enough just to say, well, God is up there, but God knows. God knows we're going through pain. God is aware of the pain. And if God is all powerful, why does he get to be off the hook? Hop over to Hebrews chapter 5. It's not enough to know that pain has a purpose, but I think it's a good start. The second step is to know that pain has a partner. You know, the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked, and it's easy just to, it's kind of, it's understandable, but it is a cop-out to just say, I can't believe in God because why would God allow suffering? You don't see people leave God and go, wow, the suffering is gone. They like to portray that. Anybody does like to portray things are better now that I'm out of the church, or wow, I'm so much happier that I got God out of my life, right? But nobody, everyone goes through suffering. Everyone goes through pain. And you have a choice, and I, I want to encourage the, the teens who have not yet made Jesus Lord. I want to encourage you to think about, you don't have to understand all of the concepts of the Bible to get baptized. You don't. When I was 14, still a little pudgy, pudgy drew at 14, got baptized. But Drew didn't understand every concept at that time. I understood one thing that I'd rather walk through life with Jesus than without him. 
Pain is coming. That is, a, that is sure as shooting. Pain is on its way, regardless of whether you're in here or out there. Do you want to walk through life with a partner or alone? Just to blame everybody and everything. The government and your job and your boss and your dad and your mom and your siblings. Yourself. Just to blame everybody. Or do you want to be able to have someone, when you're going through pain, to say, I've been there too. And in Hebrews chapter 5, this is incredible. Jesus, the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus prayed with what? Supplications and petitions. What are those? What does that mean? He asked for stuff. Now, what's the only time in the Gospels where Jesus is crying while praying? In Gethsemane. What is he asking for? To not die for you. God, take this cup from me. I can't do it. He's offering up prayers. He's offering up supplications. And he's, it said he's heard. How cool is that? God hears him. But what's God's answer? No. You, you got to go. You got to go and continue on. And Christ says, yeah, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus prayed to God and God said, no. God always answers. God always answers. The very next verse says, son, though he was. I want to coddle my son. I want to protect my daughter. I want to protect them all. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Oh my goodness. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus suffered and he learned obedience. And the challenge for us, church, is when we go through suffering to ask, what is God trying to teach me? Even Jesus was like, man, that time in the garden, I learned obedience. Jesus doesn't just connect with you because it's sometimes hard to connect with Jesus. You're like, ah, oh, he's just Jesus. He's God. He's perfect, blah, blah, blah. No, Jesus was rejected. Jesus prayed. Jesus' prayers received a no for an answer. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been disconnected? Like, oh, God's not answering my prayer. Guess who also knows what that feels like? Jesus. And we can complain and say, why is God off the hook of all this pain stuff? Why is God making me go through pain? God is not off the hook. God came down to earth to get himself on the hook. He put himself on the hook. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Simply so he can know what it feels like when you go through pain. Do we go to him? Do we, ha do we have quiet times? Last seven days, how many quiet times have you had? How many moments of devotion? How many times have you taken deep breaths and said a prayer or sang a hymn and gone to Jesus because simply he knows what it's like? We've talked about that before. You connect with somebody. When someone's gone through what you've gone through, it's amazing. You connect. Oh, you've been there. This is a difficult situation, right? You know, if you're single and a married person, you want to find a spouse and a married person says, oh, it'll work out someday. A single person's like, what? Thanks. Like, you don't know what it's like. You're struggling with infertility. People say, it'll work out one day. And they have six kids. They don't know what it's like. Right. You know, if, you, if you've just been fired over and over and over again, yeah. and, and people are like, with great jobs are like, you'll be fine. They don't know what it's like. And it's, it's hard. But we can always go to Jesus because he's been tempted in every way. 
and we can give him our raw, we can actually blame Jesus. Jesus, why'd you do this? Why'd you, I'm angry at you, Jesus. Like we can give all that stuffed up stuff inside of us that pushes us to drugs, that pushes us to yell at our spouse, that pushes us to be (coughs) impatient and angry and to cough. (laughs) We can put that on Jesus. I think you get that point. Last point. For the sake of time, for time's sake, Pain's days are numbered. It's not enough to just say, hey, Drew, hey, Drew you're going you're to learn through your pain. I think that's true. But it's, all, it's, it's great to say Jesus has been there with you. And that's also true. But like anybody who's lost somebody, you ever hear about somebody whose maybe daughter died in a drunk driving accident and they work the rest of their life to improve maybe dr- drunk driving legislation? Like they work or they start a foundation or they work their whole life because they have to know. They have to know their daughter did not die in vain. They have to know their daughter died for something. People live their whole life doing that, right? I, they, my, my husband didn't, I got to work to be able to, for cancer research because he died of cancer. He can't have died for nothing. That drives us. And in the same way we're in the world, if you just believe in survival of the fittest, go ahead and, and fire that person at work who's weak, who needs that job to make ends meet. Go ahead and do whatever's best for the bottom line. Go ahead and cheat on your taxes because it'll help you make more money. Go do the survival of the fittest thing out there if you really don't believe in God. And don't be offended if, the, hurt, if, if the, the, the people who don't have as much are hurt or, or, or discouraged or beaten or ravaged or destroyed. But if we're going to follow God, if we're going to, we have a God who loves us, who put himself on the hook for us. But more than that, we're going to close out with this passage. We have a God who has a plan to get rid of pain. And it's in Revelation 21. And this is my favorite point. This is an awesome point. Because at the end of the day, this is why we do what we do. This is what we're aiming for, what we're striving for. So much of our world is what you feel right now. What do you feel right now? And we are a people who does not do what we feel. doesn't matter how we feel about something. We will do what is right. We'll do what God calls us to do. That's what's going to help us stand out among the nations. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered and Jesus, or rather Joseph, Joseph was ready when the whole world came to him. And I love that passage. As you get to Revelation 21, we'll get there. But I love that passage that the whole world came to Joseph. And he was ready for them. And I wonder if we're ready for the world. If we're learning through what we're suffering. If it's not just my daughter's the worst and my husband's the worst and my job's the worst and everyone around me doesn't like Dungeons and Dragons and I sure do love it and I wish I could have more people play with me in Dungeons and Dragons. If, we, if we're just always uh, like just self-absorbed by the pain, we'll never learn lessons. And if we never learn lessons, we'll never be ready when the whole world comes to us for help. And your neighbor will. Your neighbor will ask you, you go to church a lot. You can say, yeah. So the Yankees lost last week. You could do that. Or you could say, yeah, I do. I mean, I love, I love my church. And I got to be honest, I didn't always love church. I didn't always love it. In fact, I used to kind of live just for myself. I was just focused on making as much money as possible. I mean, I just love this church. I love that we get a how. You can be ready to answer. You can be. When your neighbor, when your kids ask you, mom, why? Dad, why? Why do we go to church so much? Because it's right. Do what dad says, right? I mean, we could, we could waste those opportunities to say, man, I didn't, used to, I didn't used to think that was right. I didn't used to live so pure. I didn't used to confess every time I had a thought that was remotely impure, but now I, I strive to do that. 
and it's taken me time and I failed a lot, but hey man, I'm grateful. Like there's opportunities, like we've got to be ready, church. The world will come to us. They already have. They've been coming to us. And we just say, well, where everyone's fine, everyone just go to church and find your own God and worship him in however way you see fit. Or to say, no, we have the answer. We do. That is kind of the problem with believing in one God. Right? They have an absolute God. There is one way. And we can be like, oh, it's all fine. Or we can say, no, we've actually been waiting for this moment to share our faith with you. And in Ephesians 2, you know, one of our favorite passages about grace, right? That we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are not saved from doing good works. We are saved for doing good works. That is why you were baptized. It is why someone studied the Bible with you. It is why God put himself on the hook throughout history and rearranged the course of mankind's trajectory so that... We can do good works. And the only way we can do good works is if we realize, like Joseph did, right? So tempting. Pharaoh's like, I heard you can interpret dreams. I heard you're the man. I heard you're the alpha. I heard you're the cat's pajamas. And Joseph's like, you betcha. I'm awesome. No, he doesn't do it. He says, I can't do it, but God can. Let's go to him for help. And if we can be ready like Joseph was, we can have confidence, but not be prideful. We can be humble, but not just be, oh, woe is me. And that is a beautiful balance that only occurs in Jesus. But God's plan is not just to make it through life and kind of make it to the end. Well, just carry the old rugged cross until I die. Heaven is not a consolation prize. Revelation 21, verse 4 says, There will be no more, or say, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Can I get an Amen. I'm going to read it again, and we're going to give, a, we're going to give an amen as if campus, they're going to, we're going to make campus hear it. They're going to feel, they're going to quake in their boots. They wear boots in campus? I don't know. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Amen. For the old order of things has passed away. At the very end of Lord of the Rings, Sam looks at Gandalf and says, I thought you were dead. I thought I was dead. And then he has this moment where he goes, is every bad thing going to be undone? And that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen with us is that God is going to work backwards through time to not just say, hey, I really worked through that time of trial. He's going to actually turn it into good. He's going to turn it into joy. And we're going to close out with a song that helps us be able to see redemption. It's not a consolation prize. It's a restoration prize, right? It's not just, hey, here's heaven. Your life sucked. Here's heaven, right? No, no, it's not that at all. It's you fought in life. God is actually working to make life incredible backwards through time to be able to help us all, not just, have, to not just take away the tears, but to turn those tears into joy. We wonder why the test when we try to do our best, but we will understand it better someday. We're gonna close out with these words, and I, I pray that when we can sing this, this song together, that we can think about what is God trying to teach me? And even if the answer is, I have no idea, sing those words, we will understand it better someday. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Seth Mitchell, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, you can go to blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 7 p.m. Wednesdays or 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.